As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter 1. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy-to-read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Ask NT Wright Anything podcast. Hello, welcome back to the show. It's Justin Briley, Premier's Theology and Apologetics Editor, bringing you another dose of Tom Wright's thought and theology. Hope you enjoy today's show. Uh, today, tackling your questions on emotions and the Christian life. Should I be experiencing the tangible presence of God as a Christian and someone who has questions about feelings of shame for things they've done in the past? So uh, if you're listening today and you're dealing with similar kinds of emotions, hope today's show helps you. The show brought to you as ever in partnership with SBCK and NT Wright Online. Quick shout out to show listener Alejandra, who says, Hi, Justin, wanted to sh- thank you for picking my question for NT to answer on a recent Ask NT Write Anything podcast. Coincidentally, you released the episode on my birthday and it was such a treat. I've been following the podcast since the beginning and I'm a big fan. Thank you for all you do. Alejandra, thank you very much for being part of the uh, the many people who are now downloading the show from week to week. And if you perhaps know someone who'd enjoy the podcast, do make sure to tell them about it over at askntright.com. And perhaps you'd like to also leave a, a rating and a review if you haven't done that before for the show to help others discover it on podcast. Uh, if you do subscribe to the show over at askntright.com, you'll get our regular email updates, bonus content, and of course, the chance to ask a question yourself. You get our, our entered into any any prize draws as well along the way and uh, if you're able to support the show that would be greatly appreciated we've got the exclusive show ebook to send you as a thank you if you can do that tom's responses to 12 big questions about the bible life and faith again that's askntright.com for now on to today's show Welcome back to this week's edition of the show. It's always a joy to be able to bring your questions to Tom. And uh, as ever, there'll be a reminder towards the end of today's show about how you can submit questions for future editions of the program as well. Returning to some pastoral issues, and as ever, Tom, these always come with a disclaimer that you cannot be anyone's pastor via podcast. So it's always best to seek out wise spiritual counsel uh, whenever it comes to pastoral questions of the type we're going to tackle today. But um, had a number of questions, nevertheless, on um, questions around uh, our feelings, our emotions when it comes to the way we engage our faith. And I thought it'd be interesting to put a few of these together and and get your thoughts on them. Um, Let's start with Sarah in Derbyshire. He wants to ask about the Holy Spirit and the role of feelings in that. Um, And quite a long question here. I'll, I'll, I'll read it in its entirety here. Uh, Sarah says, Tom, you talk so passionately about how being a Christian means that you're filled with the Holy Spirit and that this presence is felt. Now, I believe Jesus is the son of God, 
I believe he died and was resurrected. I consider myself a Christian, yet I feel nothing. I'm wanting to be guided and follow God's plan for my life. I pray, read the Bible, seek his advice and enlightenment, and yet I feel nothing but that I'm wandering this world alone. Am I doing something wrong? Am I actually not a Christian because I don't feel or hear from the Spirit? Or are my expectations of being filled by the Spirit wrong? Could this be because I was brought up a Christian from birth and so there's been no born-again type moment? I long to feel this partnering in life and would welcome any words of insight or advice. Tom, over to you. Wow, yes. Um, I wouldn't wish to give anyone the impression that every day and every hour of every day I am as happy, excited, aware of the presence of God as I am on some occasions. Um, I am, I think, a reasonably normal human being, and my emotions come and go sometimes with the weather. It happens to be a rather grey, gloomy day outside, and so my natural way is to feel a bit grey and gloomy and then see how I can fight my way out of that, and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, if I have spoken, as I have, about a sense of the presence of God, a sense of the reality of Jesus being with me, a sense sometimes of a sudden uh, awareness of something that I ought to do or say or someone I ought to see, um, which comes quite unexpectedly, but often as a result of praying about a particular situation. Well, those things are wonderful. Um, there's a lovely line in the poet Gerard Manley Hopkins, who says, I greet him the days I meet him and bless when I understand. I think that's very true, a sense that, ah, he, he is here. I have been ignoring him, but but yes, this is wonderful. And for a moment, I can see something clearly. And that's amazing. And that's enough to live on for the next week or month or sometimes longer. Many great Christian teachers and writers and practitioners as well, I think of Mother Teresa, for instance, have testified to quite long lasting periods of what you might loosely call spiritual dryness or spiritual darkness, where for whatever reason, it seems as though all we can do is hang on to Jesus' coattails, assuming that by regular prayer, by regular sharing in the Eucharist, by regular reading of scripture, we are in fact clinging on to where we should be and what we should do. And sometimes I think we are asked by God to go through those dark places because much of the world is in darkness and God's people sometimes have to share the darkness of the world like Jesus did in Gethsemane and on the cross in order then that there may be light coming through as a result. This is a very difficult area. But in particular, I want to say we are all very different. We we know much more now than we did when I was young about the range of personality types. We have uh, metrics for measuring them, whether it's the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram or all the other things that are often uh, um, businesses use to, to measure people's strengths and weaknesses. And we need to learn about ourselves, um, to know ourselves and to recognize the kinds of things which we naturally respond to and that we don't naturally respond to. And as a pastor, I have sometimes had to work with and pray with people who have felt absolutely nothing despite, like this good questioner, um, apparently saying and believing all the right things and perhaps being brought up as a Christian. And sometimes when it comes down to it, it appears that there is some emotional 
blockage, which might be to do with parents or school or siblings or something, which has shut up a bit of their emotional resilience or, or, or resonance in such a way that it's blocked off to God as well, um, or seems to be blocked off. Now, God can break through anything and everything, but sometimes it takes wise pastoral care to say, what else is going on in my life? Why does there seem to be this blockage? But we are all called many times to walk in faith in the dark. We walk by faith and not by sight. And I don't say that lightly. It's, it's, a, it's a tough call. But if that's where we are, then that's where we are. And I would recommend 2 Corinthians, which is where Paul describes what that's like, what that's been like for him. And if we cling on and keep praying, then there will be times of light. There will be seasons of joy and hope mm, and, and mm. so on. But uh, it's not a given and it, it has to be worked at in terms of the dynamic of our own personality and relationships and yes. so on. Much more I, I could I, say, I was, but that would be the start. I, I was going to raise a similar point, which I, I remember being approached by a young man at a, at a conference I was involved in a few years ago. And he had a very similar story to Sarah's here, mm. saying, I, I believe in Christianity, yet when I go to church, other people are having these ecstatic, you know, sublime experiences, feeling God speaking to them. I just don't get any of that. None of that sort of, you know, I, I, I just don't seem to have. The, and am I really a Christian? I asked myself. And, and my advice to him was, well, and we were at a sort of quite an intellectual conference. So it was about, you know, questions and apologetics and that sort of thing. I said, not you know don't judge your experience of god by other people's the way that they encounter god because some people are just wired differently aren't they and and for them exactly. their encounter with god will be a more intellectual a more you know it's when they read a book that they really feel connected yeah. because actually something comes alive in them for another person it's going yeah. to be some ecstatic moment in a worship service which for the other yeah. individual doesn't really do anything for them so i think i think sometimes helping to, to sort of not judge your experience by other people's experience is is sometimes helpful yeah. tom yeah and i i've often thought you know when jesus goes around the circle says love god with your heart mind soul and strength each of us probably naturally comes from one of those angles and if you're somebody who naturally comes in on the mind track then you may have to work at the heart and soul and strength there are other people whose love of god naturally overflows when they're ministering to people in direst need, when they're helping people uh, who are deeply sick or poor or whatever it may be. And they find that there is a, a release and a fulfillment there. And according to Matthew 25, they are meeting Jesus himself in the faces of those people. And then maybe they have to go around the circle as well and do the heart and the mind mm, as well mm, as the, the soul mm. and the strength. So we have to start where we are and then seek patiently to 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 fill ourselves out as it were to fill in the bits that that are lacking but there's no there shouldn't be a stress of, and let me say um uh, i too was brought up in a in a church going christian bible reading home um i never had a big damascus road experience and i have sometimes felt a bit jealous of those who did um god moves in many mysterious ways he takes us where we are takes us on to where he wants us to be and we can't judge ourselves by one another's particular journeys. Well, mentioning Damascus Road experiences, let's skip to Jeff in Fort Collins, Colorado, who asks that very question. Um, I was struck mm -hmm. dumb when I first read of Paul's gap years, that is the decade or so of silence you mentioned in your recent biography. Now, I struggle in my newly found faith with doubt 
and wonder why I can't have a road to Damascus conversion. And then when I read the account of Paul in Acts, it's as if, it's, it's as if he's on fire from the get-go. Arabia, Jerusalem, Antioch, there's no pause. Um, and there's a sort of question here uh, at one level of can you provide more detail on these gap years uh, in Tarsus um, and so on. But also this, this sort of question of um, wondering why he hasn't had a similar road to Damascus experience where suddenly he's on fire and, you know, often doing all the things that Paul did. <laughs> what's, what's your I, thoughts I, on I that? Remember, I remember many years ago hearing a preacher um, imagine himself in Philippi in Acts 16 when um, Paul has come to town. He goes to the Jewish place of prayer. He's expounding the scriptures to the people who happen to be there. One of them is a woman called Lydia, and it simply says the Lord opened her heart to believe what Paul was saying. And she believes and she welcomes Paul and his friends into her home, etc. And then a little while later, Paul is attacked and beaten up by the authorities and thrown into jail. And he and Silas are singing hymns at midnight, as you do. And suddenly there's an earthquake and the walls fall down and the, and the jailer is about to commit suicide. And um, Paul says, don't do it. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe in Jesus. And he gets baptized and it's all wonderful. And then this preacher imagined a conversation a week or two later between the jailer and Lydia, uh, where the jailer says to Lydia, so, so what happened when you were converted? And he said, well, I just, he was talking about the scriptures and Jesus, and it all made sense. And he says, well, there wasn't an earthquake. You, no walls fell down. You didn't feel like killing yourself. And no, nothing of that. And then the jailer going off and thinking, I'm a bit worried about Lydia. I'm not sure she's really there. I'm not sure she's really had this big experience. And in other words, don't bother about all that stuff. If that's what it takes for God to bring you to faith or him or her to faith, so be it. But we all have different tracks. The important thing is the tracks that lead to Jesus. And if we get to Jesus through whatever means it is, then that's the place to be. So um, uh, in terms of the gap years, and I think I, I would encourage the friend who wrote this to um, to, to reread the bit of the biography because it just lists Arabia, um, Jerusalem, Antioch, etc. But actually, I have argued very strongly, I think, that the time in Arabia was not Paul dashing off to do some missionary work, but Paul in deep quandary saying, what on earth is going on? And like Elijah, going back to Mount Sinai to hand in his commission to say, look, I've been very zealous. And now what's happened? What's this all about? And he gets a fresh commission. Then he goes to Jerusalem and he doesn't go to Antioch yet. He goes off to Tarsus and we know nothing. That's the gap year or the gap mm. decade. And I'm not sure that Paul was wrestling with doubt at that point. We have no sense of that. I think he was uh, living probably with his parents or close by his parents and family and wrestling with the big issues of searching the scriptures and making sense of what had just happened, of the fact that Jesus really was Israel's Messiah, um, but recognizing that many of his family, quite possibly his parents, quite possibly somebody to whom he'd been betrothed, we just don't know, um, had said, no, this is not happening. Jesus cannot be Israel's Messiah, etc. So I think the, the gap decade was really important as deepening Paul's understanding of scripture, his prayer life, his wrestling with the big issues. And it was after that, that Barnabas came and found him and said, now come to Antioch because we need you, we need your help. And then things move on from there. Thank you very much. Hope that's helped you, Jeff. Um, and indeed, the discussion that we've had already on the podcast today. Uh, a final question here from Ryan in Indiana. 
um, and this again, it, it's very much a personal pastoral sort of a question as much as anything. But uh, Ryan says, I'm 23 and I came out of a sea of sexual sin about four years ago. I think I was coping with shame and a lack of affirmation through drugs and sex, but I eventually turned from my sin. I didn't grow up knowing Jesus, but my brother told me about him when I was in high school. It took me a few years, but I eventually surrendered to Jesus when I was about 19. People who knew me then and know me now tell me often that I'm nothing like the person I was back then. And my parents had compassion for me, welcoming me with open arms and receiving me back as their son. Today, though, I have an immense amount of shame and guilt for the many drunken sexual encounters I had, the atrocious things I said to women when I was drunk, and the hard truth that some of the women I was with may feel shame for having been with me as well. So my question is twofold. In your opinion, does God want me to feel ashamed of the sin I committed four years ago? And would God want me to have compassion on myself? Some people whom I love and respect think that we have no need to forgive ourselves, because after all, it's not ourselves to whom we are indebted, but God. But what what about those of us who are crippled with shame for the things we've already been forgiven for? And uh, Ryan finishes his question here asking, some people have pointed me to Ezekiel 36, where God says, then you will loathe yourselves. Still others have pointed to passages about God's discipline, such as Hebrew 13, to say that sometimes God, it is God's will that we feel great shame in order that we keep within repentance. Um, so what are your thoughts on this? Obviously, Ryan's really struggling with the, the shame he feels for, yeah. for his past life. I, I can well understand this. And um, it, it seems to me right throughout the history of the church, there have been many, many people who have done a great many things of which subsequently they've been ashamed, but who have come to faith and have been welcomed into the family of the church. And what then happens in terms of the memory, in terms of the psychology, in terms of the kind of rumbling imagination of, of the half-remembered things that happened that I did when, etc., etc., that's something that has to be worked through. It doesn't automatically just stop. Um, and God's forgiveness doesn't mean, you know, s supposing you have badly hurt somebody physically, um, uh, supposing you've beaten them up or broken their limbs or whatever, the fact that you may then repent and be forgiven doesn't mean that those limbs heal themselves automatically. And it's the same with things in our own minds and bodies and so on, that there are residual memories. I think the answer has to be then with wise pastoral help to pray through those memories and to seek God's healing for those memories. There's been an enormous amount done over the last generation on the healing of memories. And that's not something that happens overnight. There are times when there can be suddenly a great load lifted, particularly when wise people are praying with and for you. Um, and, and that can happen. And if I was in that person's situation, I would go to a wise pastor or spiritual director or counselor and say, I think I need to have some memories actually healed. Please, can you help me to pr or pr pray with me and for me? And that might take a week. It might take a month. It might take two or three years or more. Uh, that's completely unknowable in advance. But I do believe that God does not want his beloved sons and daughters, of whom this friend is one, uh, to go around crippled by that memory, that shame. If there are people out there who they feel they have wronged, to whom they need to apologize and seek their forgiveness, then though that may be hard, that may be something which perhaps ought to be done. 
that's a difficult one and will depend on this and that and so on, um, on wise judgment and again, pastoral help required. But it seems to me it is not God's basic will that whenever people come to prayer, they should have this deep load of, of shame and guilt. That ought to be lifted. It is lifted in Christ. If you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. Romans 8.1 is absolutely right. And the end of that great chapter, who then is going to condemn us? Because Christ Jesus has died and is raised and is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. So what's your problem in a sense? But if you still have that lingering memory, then you need to find somebody with whom you can pray that the fact which is a fact of no condemnation will become a reality in your internal memory and psyche as well and god bless you that may take time mm. but it can be done yes god bless you indeed ryan and uh, thanks also to sarah and jeff who've been in touch on today's show thank you as well tom for helpful wise pastoral advice uh, and again we'll reiterate always best to seek wise counsel though in person um for many of these issues that have been talked about today don't just depend on the tom's voice or disembodied on a podcast um do go and uh, and seek help but uh, thanks for being with us this week tom we'll see you again next time thank you thank you so much for listening to today's show and next time we're going to be asking what did jesus's death actually achieve your questions on that theme will be featured. Just a reminder that our show partner, NT Wright Online, are offering a free ebook from Tom on the Book of Acts to podcast listeners. The links are with the show notes today. Find out more about the show at askntwright.com. And if you're able to support us and help bring Tom's thought and theology to many more folk, we'd be delighted to send you the exclusive show ebook as well 12 Answers to Questions About the Bible, Life, and Faith. Again, that's askntwright.com and click on give. For now, thanks for listening and see you next time. Mm-hmm.